You are listening to the Prepared Warrior Podcast, where law enforcement and military trainers discuss cutting-edge training, tactics, and technology. Here is your host, John Wilson. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Prepared Warrior. I'm John Wilson. Our guest for this episode is Tony Lambrea. I always like to start every episode with a quote. This one is from Terry Bradshaw, who said, When you've got something to prove, there's nothing greater than a challenge. Very special guest for the program today, Tony Lambrea. and He has over 30 years of experience in local, state, and federal law enforcement. He has trained military and law enforcement worldwide for over two decades. He has been featured on many law enforcement networks and publications. He has served as a U.S. Marine, correction officer, patrol officer, detective SWAT, and SRT commander, chief of counterterrorism and tactics branches, and fed deputy director, and more. He has taught MMA and holds several black belts in various martial arts. Lambrea is the vice president of Ultimate Training Munitions, UTM Worldwide. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. So I guess to start, how did you first get involved in training military and law enforcement in your career? So I, I obviously, uh, as you kind of alluded to on my background, um, you know, my whole adult life, I've either been in uh, the military or law enforcement in some capacity. Um, I would say that after um, after my stint at Rikers Island and also uh, in the Marine Corps, um, I started getting into training. I was already doing martial arts. I was already teaching, uh, had several different schools. And so I just, you know, I, I've always been training, uh, trained in martial arts since I was like eight years old. So I, I had that little passion for teaching, um, mostly martial arts and self-defense. And um, it just seemed like a logical sequence of events when I started getting into um, other aspects of law enforcement. Uh, and then I just started to, uh, you know, do a lot more with the defensive tactics, the combatives programs. And, uh, I saw some, some really good success. Um, early on, I had a couple of companies called, uh, Tony Lambrea combatives and, um, police warrior training. So I had several of those, did some conferences. And, uh, I think a lot of the concepts and the things that we did were well received and, uh, you know, I have a passion for it and helping the community. So I just kept doing it even while I was uh, actively working. Um, you know, and then it kind of took me in my course where, you know, there were pieces of, of my uh, career where I went to the training divisions or, um, you know, was on a SWAT team, but I was a SWAT trainer as well. So it just seemed to uh, flow in it. And uh, I really enjoyed doing it. I think you can reach more people um, as a trainer than you can anything else. And it's, it's, a, it's a critical job and there's a lot of damn good trainers out there and a lot of good information that are responsible for saving people's lives. So uh, I always felt it was pretty important. So you started uh, uh, in the uh, Marines uh, when you started doing training or what was the first kind of training you did? No, I think I started really um, doing corrections training. Uh, okay. I worked in Rikers Island for almost six years. Um, you know, in the Marine Corps, I didn't have an opportunity really to do much of it. Uh, I did get um, called back for uh, Desert Storm and then 
we did not deploy, and uh, when we didn't deploy, we actually wound up as a base fill-in. And as base fill-ins, we went to uh, teach patrolling and some other stuff. So uh, there was a little bit of training there, but the predominant part of my uh, my career and first start was, you know, teaching correction officers defensive tactics. And, you know, I worked in the prisons, and, you know, Rikers Island was a pretty uh, – interesting place back in the uh, early 80s when I was there early into the late 80s and uh, there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on a lot of stabbings a lot of fights you know so um, you know there was a there was a good opportunity to pick up see what works what doesn't work and uh, so I started teaching and started teaching mostly law enforcement um, and correction officers and then as my career continued on I had more opportunities to do stuff with the military and uh, now in my current capacity we do military and law enforcement all around the world and applying the things that I learned as a trainer, you know, it's universal. It goes, you know, through from the military to law enforcement to civilians. I mean, you know, cause we, right now we mostly train people on how to train more than um, going in and teaching them how to clear a building or teaching them how to, you know, do a knife defense. I mean, we did those things, but um, I've kind of evolved over the years to, really make sure that people are training the right way more than giving them techniques. So, right. So what would you say are some elements that are unique to training, um, those working in corrections, like, uh, where you were at Rikers Island? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's different phases of that, obviously, um, working in the prisons, you're always outnumbered, right? So, you know, looking at, you know, 120, 130 inmates to one officer, um, and that's the one compat. You know, you're in, you're the B person in the inside the pod. You're working inside the prison itself. You know, you've got, you know, you're pretty exposed. And I don't care how good of a fighter you are. I don't care, you know, um, what you're capable of. You're outnumbered. You know, and so, you know, we started doing individual skills and teaching people, you know, how to hold on until, you know, you, you obviously got to build your skills up. You got to individual skills when i say individual skills that's that goes for everything so everything from you know learning how to control somebody um your physical fitness because you may have to hold on for a couple minutes um to uh you know the actual things that you do and you know techniques that you apply but you you know you really have to think and be smart about it you know because you're not fighting one person in there so you start to break down and this goes for any training it goes for any position but let's take the correction since that's what you asked about Mm -hmm. is that you know, you look at what situation you're going, you could find yourself in. Um, a fight between two inmates. You know, you try and jump in the middle, you wind up getting punched in the face, uh, whether it be intentionally or unintentional. Unintentional. Um, so, you know, you have to look at that. Then you take another component of it where the attack is on the officer or, you know, the individual themselves. Um, then you look at the other aspect of it where you have to go in on a cell or a cell extraction. Now it's a team thing. So there's so many components that that kind of play into it. Um, But, you know, that really is what I learned over the years, which is you have to break down what you're training for. In other words, what is it that the the eventuality, what is like, what is you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Break those skills down first and then you can actually be better prepared. I think one of the the biggest problems that I've seen in training overall is, is that everybody goes right to the end game. You know, whether it be a scenario, whether it be a cell extraction and corrections or whatever it is, they go to the end game. And there's so many other things and so many other aspects that have to be trained before you get there. You have to do the individual components of it. And um, I think sometimes that's overlooked. 
do you think that's uh, kind of the most practical thing people can learn is is just uh, step by step and breaking it down or is there is there any other information you think was kind of the most practical info that you learned that you still use in training today? Yeah, I, I do think it has to do with um, I think it has to do with understanding, you know, how to do training and breaking those skills down. I think that's absolutely critical. I, I'll tell you, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, I had a good friend of mine, uh, former Secret Service guy. He called me up and he said, um, I want, you know, I'm looking for something for a friend of mine. What kind of style of martial arts should I tell them to go to? Or what school should I tell them to take their kids to? And I said, you know, there, there's really not a lot of bad styles out there. There's only, you know, the old saying, right, bad instructors. I said, but if I were, you know, going to tell somebody to start training, I would tell them to find a school that's going to build the right skills first. You know, because my, myself, personally, I went and trained in different things. You know, you learn how to box and throw punches and, you know, Muay Thai and you kick and you punch and you learn those skills. Then you learn, you know, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of grappling. You learn some jiu-jitsu, you, you know, and you, you get better at that. Then, you know, you start learning a little bit about weapons and you start going into that. So you start breaking down the individual skills that you're going to need to be successful no matter what the situation is. Um, I think if you start just going directly into I want a self-defense school and the self-defense school is not doing enough on the skill building side or it has gaps, you know, uh, I mean, hell, look at the way the UFC started out. Um, you know, illustrating that, you know, the Gracies did a good job of illustrating where the gaps were. And that was not a lot of people fought on the ground. So you got traditional schools that did all stand up and they said, I just won't go to the ground. And they found out that that wasn't necessarily an option. So training for all situations, building skills and making sure that, you know, your your skills are such that you can adapt. And that, and that is the, the lesson that I've learned over the years. Um, look at look at the uh, look at the firearms skills that people. There's great firearms instructors out there. There's great shooters out there, and um, you know the the only thing is is that once again that you do this you, the individual skills, but do you carry it to the next step on those individual skills? And you know one of the things that we're why I'm so happy about being involved in UTM is that we can do force on force, but we also can do 360-degree training. So now you learn the individual skills, but now you get to go to the next phase of it and make it more interactive and apply those skills you know, in combination and in a realistic environment and starting to build it. So you know, that's a lot of information, but the bottom line is, is you're training skills, but then you have to move the skills into the right environment and then eventually put it under the right element of stress and, you know, and then, you know, you can start to perform, evaluate and then kind of rinse and repeat. You know, you were mentioning uh, UTM and, you know, helping people improve their firearm skills is one of the important skills. Um, how does the, the UTM training system help people with their firearms training? Um, so UTM converts real weapons um, and then so you're obviously using your gun, put a conversion and you change out the barrel or the barrel and slide. And then it gives you the ability to fire your weapon, but safely, you know, because the rounds are only going 375 or 315 uh, feet per second. So now you have a, a, an alternative type round that doesn't have to be shot on a range. Right. And if you look at it from, you know, the firearms perspective, let's just talk straight away firearms, because there is a, a part of uh, bridging gaps and cross discipline that I'll talk about in just a second. But um, let's just stick with the firearms for just a minute. 
it, a lot of times what happens is you become very proficient at shooting on a range. You take a couple of deep breaths, you pull the trigger, you shoot on a range, you know, you, you're shooting really well. You can, you know, put two in the chest, two in the head. You can, you know, touch in rounds the whole nine yards. You know, you shoot really good. You get good at magazine exchanges maybe. Um, you get good at, at the basic skills of standing on a range. Well, what was very apparent, you know, to me when, when we were doing this was that I'd say to somebody, okay, let's, let's use UTM, which is completely safe. You can do 360 degrees. You do it any way you want. I said, I want you to set up a couple of drills. Inevitably, the instructors that were, were there learning were, they would set up a very linear range. They'd put two or three or four targets, you know, downrange, a downrange area. And then they would run some sort of a either step to the side drill or a movement drill or a cover drill or whatever it is, which are good drills and is needed. But once again, very, very linear, right? Because that's what you get so used to and so conditioned to. So you can have the best firearm skills in the world, but when things start to change and the dynamics starts to change, and now instead of just doing down, uh, down range drills, you have, you know, you're shooting left, you're shooting right, you're shooting behind you, you know, you're moving your feet, you're going in different directions, you're having to uh, adapt, you're having to be put under a little bit more stress while you're moving. I mean, all these things start to come into play, and those firearm skills that you practice are, are critical but you have to take it to that next step. You know, I, I always use the equation of like, you know, a fighter, if you hit the heavy bag your whole time and you'll get really good at hitting a heavy bag, but that doesn't make you a good fighter. I throw somebody in the ring that all they ever trained on is, is punching a bag. Then they don't necessarily become a good fighter. You know, they could, they get their head handed to them in a ring. Well, it's the same thing with firearms training. If you look at it, all we do is shoot paper targets down range and that's all you do. You become really good at that, but are you really a gunfighter? You know, has that really taken you to the next level that you need to take it to um, when you start adding in all the factors? You know, and if you look at a, like a true live shootout, a real gun battle and, and the stress that comes into play, the interaction, the movement of the bad guy, the movement of the good guy, you, you put all of those factors into play. And it, unless it's unless it's a sniper, you know, it's a, it's a very, very anything close quarter battle. It's very interactive and it's very stressful. And it's a lot of movement. And if you don't train that way, then you could have the best uh, magazine exchanges in the world and you could be punching paper all day, but you may not perform well in a, in a gun battle, an actual gun battle. So it's critical, to, you know, and that, and I saw that from the UTM perspective because now you have, you know, a, a tool that will allow you to practice all the things you need to movement, actually shooting at a person, uh, interactive stress drills, things like that. And now you have a system that can, you can do it safely with. So it's absolutely critical. And I know, you know, over the years, a lot of people have adapted to some form of force on force. Um, but there's also been some inherent uh, problems that, that have come about as a result of just force on force as well. So um, if, if uh, you know, if I was going to tell somebody right now, like, you know, from a force on force perspective, or I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, is that most people that are doing scenario type training, so they'll have they'll use things, something like UTM, um, and what they'll do is they'll they'll run a scenario, they'll run a, an active threat or an active shooter scenario, and as they're running an active shooter or an active threat, they'll pull guys in off the street and they'll throw them into situations, you know, with you know people running around and screaming, going on, and this big interactive thing, and you got to identify who the shooter is, and or they'll have to go find them, and they'll have to run down the hallways and go through it. 
The, the issue is, is they'll pull guys off the street for two hours, run them through three or four scenarios, and then they'll critique them on all the stuff that they did wrong. Instead of taking the first hour and actually covering on how to go down the hallway, um, how to go ahead and, you know, clear across the door, how to, um, you know, make a good judgment. What do you actually recognize in hands, facial features, all the things that you would need to do, giving them some drills that would lead up to and make them successful in that scenario. And that's breaking down the skills. So there's so much of that that needs to be done. Um, you know, when you're, when you're doing this and the, and the UTM does allow you to do that. Yeah. It sounds like uh, UTM is a great tool, but you still need the, the preparation and kind of the, um, you know, all the, all the other stressors, but, uh, as far as, uh, you know, getting the realistic, uh, uh, use of, uh, of a firearm in, tra- in a training scenario, it's as real as, as there is right now. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that, um, whether it be military training or, um, law enforcement training, a lot of times people stick to their disciplines. And what I mean by that disciplines is that the, the firearms guys, you know, they do firearms. They're on the range and they do firearms. The tactics guys are usually, you know, some of the team guys or whoever's teaching it, and they, they'll talk about clearing a building. And then, you know, the, your mat room guys, your combatives guys, you know, or, you know, they're really, really good punchers and grapplers, but not so much on the firearm side. And that's happened over the years where people have kind of just gone to their own little silos trained you know those disciplines and didn't cross train now to a certain extent it was our fault it was uh, you know we didn't it was more convenient to just work in the mat room and not have to worry about how you're going to interact and use firearms and transition and all that other stuff and then firearms guys you know basically it was easier to stay on the range and you know run drills whether it be run and shoot drills or whatever it is but it's usually you know you have safety features that you have to make sure or safety factors that you have to pay attention to so it's easier to stay on the range now it's definitely much more difficult but if you look at even our our defensive tactics our combatives and stuff you know a lot of times what happens is is, all right we're going to do some form of combatives or defensive tactics everybody puts on their comfortable sweatpants or 511s with a t-shirt and they go into the uh, mat room and then next thing you know, they're working with plastic guns and, you know, rubber knives and, you know, or they're grappling and they're on the ground and they're in perfectly, con- you know, comfortable situation. And then, okay, now it's time to go to work. So you put your kit on, you got your helmet, you got your comms, you got your, you know, your gun, you got everything else on you. Right? For a police officer, you got your vests on as well and you got all your, you know, your other stuff along your belt. And now try and do some of those same grappling moves, try and do some of those same uh, takedowns, some some sliding on the ground stuff, you know, uh, drawing your gun from, from that position, drawing your gun from a seated position inside your car with your seatbelt on. I think that the community is starting to get better and they're, they're doing more of that, but there's still so many people that have never done anything remotely close to that. But, you know, training training with your equipment on, making sure that, that the techniques that you're learning are important, but you have to make sure that you're you're applying them as well on how you're going to be dressed, how you're going to be, you know, what equipment you're going to have available to you, you know. So those are things that are that are critical. Um, just to kind of take it to the next, we were doing uh, undercover training, narcotics training. We were doing rescues, and the undercover would be inside, and then obviously the team would have to go in. Maybe it's a it's a bust or something. Uh, uh, you know, or it could be a uh, uh, deal gone bad or something like that. And so normally what happens is you're doing the rescues and then they make a big full scenario again. All right, we're going in on a rescue. Undercover officers 
earned or it's a ripoff or whatever it is, and then they run this big elaborate thing. So what we did was we actually backed up, reverse engineered the situation and said, okay, the undercover officer is here. These are the skills that they, they will need to survive. Let's run those drills first. Okay, we run those drills, start to work it. Okay, how does that fit in with the team? When the team actually comes through the door, you don't need the undercover standing up with his gun in his hand or something bad could happen from there. So, you know, now let's start working the team and the, the undercover. So you start to piece together all the individual skills um, that you would need, and then, you, you know, you then you train it from there so and that applies to every discipline from firearms to defensive tactics to you know tactics or cqb um all of that stuff it it applies in every single situation it's just a matter of how do you set up your drills and what equipment are you using and is it appropriate so you think uh in in long form scenario drills you you know some of the breakdown of of skills can be lost maybe uh if if they just go through a long drill yeah I, i do think that i think that um you know, there's two things. Number one is first and foremost is what what's the point of a scenario? I mean, there's two different ways of looking at it. The first way to to look at a scenario or a long scenario is for training, and that's after you've done all the individual skills that you'd need to be successful in that. Then you have to put them all together, which is you know a culmination exercise, along with some stress inoculation and then some more environmental things that you put in there. So now it's all about judgment. Now it's about stress. Now it's about applying things using your cognitive. And then in addition to that, knowing which skill is going to work. And then so you're as you're going through it. So that's the one part, right? So scenario could be a training part. And but for it to be a training thing, you run through that long scenario after you've done the skill builders. And if you don't do something correctly, you don't just say, okay, you didn't do this right and then move on. The scenario should be repeated. You should actually go through the scenario training again, and it's it's a constant buildup. And then you can invite, you can almost do it where you you know you introduce a little bit of stress first, then you introduce some more stress, then you introduce some more stress. You keep the skills that they're going to be that are needed the same, but you continue to add other factors in. So that's the one aspect of it. The second use of a scenario or a long scenario is to evaluate the students to see whether or not what you taught them they retained so you can be evaluating the instruction or you can see whether or not the student is capable of performing it and that's a totally different situation so now you run into a long scenario and you evaluate where the deficiencies are that's an important thing because you can either go back and retrain on those deficiencies um, or you have to reevaluate sometimes it's your training program you didn't cover certain things so it gives you the evaluation skills so you know, long scenarios, um, culmination exercises, you know, combat villages, all of those things are absolutely critical. But only if you're if you're you're really paying attention and saying, all right, you know, this is what went wrong. OK, let's evaluate. Why did it go wrong? Was it the individuals that that did it wrong just because they didn't apply it? Was it how we taught them? Uh, is it did they need more time on it? What is it that was there? Um, so. You know, it, it's really um, you have to evaluate what you're doing the scenarios for. Really, that's that's the main thing. What uh, training uh, drills or or types of scenarios do you think uh, officers or their agencies could do more? So I, I think if um, you're always restricted, you know, I don't care um, military or law enforcement, right. they're always restricted on time. Time and money are always budget. Different. Yeah. Yeah, so those are all these two things that are restricted. Um, but if I only had, you know, a, sm- a short amount of time, 
I would work uh, skill builders with certain elements of stress inoculation built in. And, um, you know, what I mean by that is, is that I would rather, I would rather build their skills, get them good at it, and then let them apply in any situation. Go back to the fighting situation. If I only had, if they said, you can't teach them everything, all I want you to do is make this person a good fighter, but you can't teach them every style or every situation or any self-defense. You just had to give them, what I would do is I would build up their, their striking ability. I would build up some, a little bit of their defense on the ground and, then I would just say, okay, now when you get in the situation, you know, apply that, be athletic, be physically fit so that you can actually, you know, handle it. Well, it's the same thing with an officer. If I didn't have time to spend, you know, covering every single situation that they were going to encounter, what I would do is I would just give them the best skills that I could to perform under that circumstance. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do the other stuff you do because some of the stuff that, that happens on the street or in combat um, is, is mental. And you have to get that stress inoculation, but practicing skills, doing, building up your abilities, fitness and everything else that goes with that is absolutely, you know, the most important thing. Um, then, cause you can apply it, you know, after that and you can apply it in, in a lot of different situations. Now with the uh, products like the, you have at uh, UTM, how, how has scenario training evolved? Like, do you think people might be, you know, uh, focused on, on getting, you know, good, uh, new products or is there, is there too much involved or, or not enough? What, what do you think, uh, of today's scenario training and, uh, and kind of the ability to, to do a lot more reality-based training? Uh, I think it's critical. I mean, uh, I think that the invention of, you know, uh, rounds that you could do force on force was revolutionary in the, uh, you know, it, it just was, it's such an advanced thing to have, um, you know, it, and such a benefit. And so I think the tools are great. I think we have evolved the technology so much now that, you know, years ago it wasn't accurate. Uh, you know, you, you really only used it in scenarios because you couldn't really do skill builders. You know, you didn't necessarily have the right types of blanks that worked and you had huge standoff distances. So the technology is starting to evolve to such where the technology should not hinder the training. That's the bottom line. It right. should enhance the training. And, um, you know, one of the things that we do from UTM's perspective is that we try and continuously reevaluate, you know, our products and look at it and say, all right, listen, what do we need to do better? Um, I think the invention of our silent blank round, you know, it's a blank round that cycles the gun. Uh, but it, no emissions, no gas, nothing comes out. But it cycles, recoils, locks the slide back. Everything functions exactly the same. But you could actually do a contact shot. You could do gun takeaways. Um, you could do firearms drills in the classroom. There's so much stuff that you could do with it. So when somebody looks at it and they first see, like, what the hell did you make that thing for? It doesn't even make sense. Blank, that doesn't make any noise. But then once you start to talk to them about how to train with it and what they can use it for, then the light bulb goes on. And that's what I mean by, you know, technology should, should continue to evolve and enhance, you know, officers and soldiers and range training. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? We want to try and make them better. Um, I know there's a huge push now on this virtual reality and uh, interaction there. Right. And, yep. you, know, you know, so that's a, that's a big component of it. And the reason why is that they're, there's a there's a big push to try and create those environments to make sure that people do 
understand because listen you have to create uh the training creates a a reality that hopefully when they get into a real gun battle they perform better because they feel like they've been there before right and so the more you can convince the brain that they've been there before and show performance the better it's going to be um now putting them in a real situation and doing scenario training using something like utm is is critical right um obviously so that's you know critical the vr has its place where you do the same thing and actually we're working with a lot of the systems to create the recoil and the reason why is that they're still getting this you know the lock back on the slide still getting the bang on the gun with the loud blanks still getting all the full function you're really using a real gun real manipulations but now they're actually putting put um into that vr realm so now they feel like they're in Afghanistan or they feel like they're in a school, you know, so they can see. So I think there's there's a place for all of it. I think there's a place, you know, there's not one uh, one is better than the other. Or I just think they serve different purposes. And as long as you know, our trainers understand the use of it and, and what they should be trying to build up and how they can do it. I mean, it's the same thing with UTM. People say it all the time. I, I don't think it replaces live fire in any way, shape, form. I think you have to live fire. I think there's, you know, there's never going to be a time where you say, oh, don't ever live fire. I wouldn't say that. I think people still have to understand and experience the recoil that the gun, you know, has when you do live fire. They have to understand the the adrenaline dump that you get, which is slightly different when you're live firing. Um, you know, there, there's so many things. So they're not one replaces the other. They're all complementary if trainers understand them and know how to apply it. Right. So. Uh, understanding uh, the best ways to use the equipment. Are there unique ways that you've seen people, uh, you know, use UTM products or, or other kind of training equipment that uh, that you maybe didn't think of when when it was first developed, or or kind of gave you ideas for for future um, types of equipment? Yeah, I think that um, you know you learn and you adapt. As I said before, the, what, what I think we've done a really uh, good job of doing adapting. Re- you know, with the UTM stuff is that at first it was all about the man walk arounds and shooting projectiles at each other and getting that pain penalty, right? You know, that, that was the unique factor of a force on force round. You know, you get to shoot each other and, and if you get hit, it hurts. So you go ouch and you move, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the first factor. What we started to realize was that one of the, the, the downsides and one of the things people didn't like was that they didn't want to um, change the way that they were dressed. They didn't want to change you know, some of the other pieces of it. So what we started doing was running officers through in, you know, their full gears, full kits, um, and maybe just iPro. And then they were shooting mocking rounds while the role player was shooting blanks back at them. So we started to adapt a little bit, you know, to give them that, that, that ability to, you know, wear less stuff and to get, you know, force on role player is what we call it. So we, we kind of adapted based on starting to see how people work from there. Um, but then you, then you can always step up to, you know, to the force on force because at some point or another, you want to make sure that they do feel that pain. You want to make sure that they do know they got hit and you do want to make sure that they're, you know, if they stick their elbow out, they get hit in the elbow. So, um, but we've learned a little bit, you know, from doing that, you know, working more force on role player. Um, I think people have learned over the years because we've adopted uh, the new technology, the rounds are more accurate. Years ago, the only thing that was on the market, the accuracy was really poor, so they couldn't do any firearms drills. There was no way you could hold a guy accountable, even on some of the hostage rescue scenarios. You know, you wanted to take a headshot, you were lucky you could hit the head. Um, 
we've kind of adapted now where, you know, we've developed a technology where it's accurate. You know, you're going to, if you want to take a headshot, you're going to hit the guy in the head and that's what you want, you know, so that the technology is actually, uh, you know, not holding the person back from doing their training exercise. So we've learned, we've learned a lot of stuff and we, we adapt the, uh, you know, accordingly, you know, um, we've, we've made, you know, different weapon systems, obviously, uh, for the military, you know, um, we're in the process right now of making a Mark 48, uh, which is uh, belt fed, you know, 762. You know, we're in the process of, you know, we already got a 762, 240 Bravo machine gun. We've got 249 machine guns. So we have these things because we want everybody in that component to be able to train. And you don't want to exclude somebody and say, well, normally I know you'd have a, a Mark 48, but, you know, here, use this M16 because we don't have anything for that. So, We've learned that you have to continue to develop, you have to continue to grow, and you have to make sure that you're staying up with what, you know, the tools are of the trade are. Yeah, it's great to see, uh, you know, new stuff coming out and how, how uh, companies uh, like UTM have grown and, uh, and enhanced training. Um, so uh, I really appreciate you coming on the program. And uh, I guess one more thing, what would you say are just some, some core philosophies that you could uh, leave people with uh, as far as, uh, you know, use of force training and for, for police officers, corrections or military? I think that the, uh, you know, obviously the main thing is, is challenge, challenge your training, challenge yourself as an instructor. If you're an instructor and you have a responsibility for development, um, sometimes we have a tendency to, you know, keep the training easy and we don't develop and we don't listen and we don't challenge ourselves. So, Continue to, you know, get more education, um, go out, see other people's training, um, learn to see what's happening with your officers, understand what's happening on the street. You know, the enemy changes. So, you know, you have to adapt. Right. And um, I would just say continue to challenge yourself. Make sure that you're evaluating uh, your training. And if, if your students aren't doing well, then maybe it's not your students. Maybe it's something that you're doing. So evaluate it. Be open minded and uh, try and bring it bring it to the most effective training you can. Uh, one of the things that we do now is we've kind of gone away from doing tactics training and all, we're all about you know teaching people how to do skill skill training, how to uh, how to develop their training further. I don't care what it is, tactics, firearms or whatever it is, but to open their mind. you know it's not that we can go in and teach you know uh, an SF or a seal team any kind of CQB. We're not going to be able to do that. That's their thing. they're, they're, they're the best at it. So that's fine. All we do is go in and try and give ideas on, you know, here's another way to break it down. Here's how you incorporate UTM type technology into your training. You know, try and throw those ideas out and, and hope that that's going to make things better. So, uh, yeah, continue to challenge. That's the main thing. This has been the Prepared Warrior Podcast. For more info on our guests or other episodes, check out thepreparedwarrior.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the Prepared Warrior Podcast, email j-o-n at thepreparedwarrior.com.